in the back, we were kind of talking how funny it was that this side of the room was like, hi, oh, yeah, chatty, chatty, and this side of the room did that for, like, 30 seconds. And then everyone sat down in this side of the room, and I was like, oh, maybe I should just take the long way around. Um, so I just thought it was humorous. I thought I'd share it with you. Um, my name is James. I work with the youth here. Uh, I've got a couple quick things to talk to you about first. Um, one is we're having another film in theology this Friday. Uh, we're going to be watching Captain America. Uh, if you are in high school, you should come because I'm doing that one. Yay! So we'll be talking about Captain America. If you're not in high school, you should come because I'm talking about Captain America. Yay! Uh, so uh, that should be a lot of fun. We're going to start at 6. Uh, we'll have the snack bar open. Popcorn, candy, soda, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to buy a little bit of Little Caesars, so there will be some of that, too. Uh, excellent. Uh, the youth group just got back from camp Friday. Uh, it was awesome. Had a great time at the lake. Uh, personally, I thought it was one of our best years. Uh, it took the whole week, and we talked about community, kind of where the shirt comes from. It says strength. Uh, some of you might not be able to see, but the strength is actually made up of little teeny numbers. Um, most of the numbers actually are students' birthdays that went, which was kind of cool. Um, the back has a cool lion on it. Um, so <clears throat> that's awesome. If your student went, uh, talk to them about the camp shirt. Talk to them about what the lion means. Uh, ask them about a veggie tray. Uh, I know you got you have no idea what that is. Hopefully your student was paying attention and they can tell you what the veggie tray is about. Good analogy. Hopefully they remembered. Um, e kids uh, left for camp today. Hopefully, you know they have a great trip. Be praying for them. Uh, we had only one kid go to the hospital, so hopefully they have zero kids go to the hospital. So all around, good years for camp. Uh, so will you guys stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Psalms nine eighteen. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. You guys pray with me. Uh, God, we thank you for never forgetting us, for never forgetting the needy. God, we thank you for, for bringing hope into our lives. We see that without you, uh, we have nothing. But with you, we have so much hope, and, and you bring so much grace and forgiveness to us, God. Uh, let us be a people who, who live that out, who give grace and forgiveness to, to others. I pray that you would be with us today. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a lot is happening today. We're going through this huge chunk of, of Scripture. We're going through all of Genesis 16. Um, if you have questions and stuff about it after the, at the end, uh, you can always ask, but also a lot of stuff that we're talking about today is going to be further unpacked in later lessons. Uh, if you have a Bible open to Genesis 16, you're going to want to read along with me just to make sure I'm not making any of this up because it's one of those chapters in the Bible you're like, did that? This is nuts. This is crazy. Um, so Genesis 16. Let me kind of set the picture for you. Uh, Abraham right now is 85 years old. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, there's been a lot of growth in Abraham in the last couple chapters. But like us, after a lot of growth, he kind of just crashes and burns. Uh, Abraham still has no kids. It's been 10 years since God promised him a kid. And he doesn't have a kid yet. Everyone's growing a little impatient. It's not like they're getting any younger. He's 85. His wife is 75. Not really the prime age to be making babies, um, but that's where they are. And that's where we are. So Genesis 16:1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. 
she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So, so they pick up this girl in Egypt. A, a few chapters ago, which would be 10 years ago, uh, they go to Egypt. Uh, they sin against God. They, they leave the place that God promised them. They move to Egypt. Uh, while in Egypt, Abraham tries to pimp out his wife. Uh, it's very awkward. Uh, while there, they end up with all kinds of money and kind of take some slaves with them. And we see that this is not necessarily a good thing. Okay? Sarah goes to Abraham and she says, I need a servant to help me. I'm 65 years old. At this time, again, 10 years ago, uh, she says, I'm 65 years old. I need someone to help me cook meals. I need someone to help me kind of clean. I need, I need a servant. I don't have any kids yet, so I need someone to help me out with this. So that's where we're at. If you guys were here for uh, the Ghost Protocol film and theology, uh, we talked about how Ghost Protocol is a, as an excellent like, representation of sin and how like, sin just keeps popping up. If you've ever seen that movie, just it won't die. Everything goes wrong. Nothing really works how it should. At the very end of Ghost Protocol, the bad guy just won't die. I mean, he just keeps going. Um, and so this is exactly what Abraham is dealing with. So verse 2, uh, Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And what you need to hear in verse 2 is the bitterness in her voice. She said, God said I was going to have kids, and I don't have any kids yet. God has failed me. God made me a promise, and he isn't keeping his end of the deal. He's preventing me from getting what I want. Instead of going to God in, in humble repentance or in humble prayer, she goes to God with accusations. She says, God, you did this to me. God, it's your fault. God, you offended me. You hurt me. Essentially, she says, God, you suck at being God, and I could do a better job than you. Let me do your job, and I'm going to get things done. So this is her big plan. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain a child through her. Uh, Now, real quick, uh, the go into literally means go into, okay? Go into, okay? It's a biblical definition of go into, okay? If you have kids that you haven't had the birds and the bees talk yet, now would be a great time to bring them to e-kids because that's kind of the tone for the day. Uh, This is her plan. She goes, I'm going to get my husband a girlfriend. They're going to have sex. Uh, They're going to make a child. I'm going to take that child, and that child will finally be mine. Finally, I will be a mom. Not the greatest plan ever, but I guess a plan. And and Abraham is standing there like, are are you serious? Like, is this really what you want me to do? I don't know if that's the greatest plan, but sure. Uh, Now, real quick, does this, this story reminds me of someone. You you got a dude standing there with his crazy wife. You got God saying, you know, it's okay for you to do this. It's not okay for you to do this. It's okay for you to go in to her. Not okay for you to go in to her. It's okay for you to enjoy your wife's fruit. Not okay for you to enjoy the fruit of the Egyptian slave. It's okay for you to eat of these trees. Not okay for you to eat of this tree. It's like Adam and Eve all over again. You got two women, two plans, Two choices. Eve had a plan. Sarah has a plan. And it falls on the responsibility of the husband to look after the family, to protect the family, to truly be pastor dad. So Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see that Adam fails in this. And so does Abram. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, I kind of wonder how this conversation went. 
Like, hey, I have this servant. She's young. She's hot. She's foreign. She's rocking the cocoa skin. I want you to have sex with her. I talked with her. She's okay with it. What do you say? Now, now Abraham right now is choosing his words very carefully. He's like, is this a test? Is Aston Kutcher going to, like, pop around a corner and be like, you punk, sucker? Like, what is happening here? I don't know if I really agree with this. See, I kind of wonder if they, if they talked it out. Like, are you sure this is what you want me to do? I mean, I am a man, I'm a family man, so I'm committed to you and the family and to your happiness. So if this is what will make you happy, I guess I'll bite the bullet and do this. I just need to hear it again. And she's like, yes, I want you to have sex with this girl. He's like, okay, but only because I love you and I'm committed to you. And sweetheart, if we don't make a baby the first time, oh, I'll try again. And again. And if it's not working with her, we could try with someone else. Because I love you. It's, it's a weird situation. It's, it's really awkward. So verse 3. After Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that they're actually married. It means they do what married people do and should be doing frequently, but not before marriage. Okay, so go into. Uh, verse 4. Uh, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. This is where it starts to get real. Okay, I'm sure you have all heard the saying, it's all fun and games till someone gets pregnant. Um, now is... It's serious now because her house is no longer her and her husband and her slave. Her house is now her, her husband, uh, her husband's girlfriend and their kid. I, I'm, who sounds like the third wheel in that picture? You, you got a guy living with a girl and they have a kid together and then you got the guy's wife. Okay? She kind of sounds like the third wheel. And it sounds like the setting to a really awful reality TV show or some kind of soap opera. It's like Genesis. What really happened? Um, it's, just, it's just weird. So continuing in verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar knows she's pregnant, and now she starts to despise Sarah. She's thinking, well, this is my baby. Well, this could be my man. Abraham has got some money. This could be my money. All I have to do is get rid of the old lady who can't have kids, provide Abraham with what he wants, kids, and then wait for this 85-year-old dude to kick the bucket. It's almost like she's conning them. You know, Hagar has a plan too. I bet this is her plan from the beginning. Since Sarah first said, I want you to make a baby with my husband, she goes, great. Phase one, get pregnant. Phase two, get rid of Sarah. Phase three, Wait for Abraham to die. And so she starts laying it on thick that she's pregnant, that she can have kids and Sarah can't. It's like she goes to Abraham and she says, Abraham, do you want to feel your only child kick? Your first and only son. Do you want to feel him kick? Here, rub my tummy. You know, and Sarah's in the back like, oh, man, that's annoying. You know, and then she sits down and Hagar sits down and she goes, oh, Sarah, would you be a sweetheart and, and run to the store and get this poor pregnant woman some ice cream? Your husband's kid is really feeling ice cream right now. Life under this tent is not so easy. It's not so peaceful here. And, and then Sarah says one of the greatest lines in the whole chapter. Verse five. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong. I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. She turns on him. 
She goes, you are responsible for the wrong. I am suffering. I'm suffering and it's your fault, Abraham. You did this. She continues in verse 5. May the Lord judge between you and me. See, now she starts talking like a Christian. Okay? She hasn't talked to God about her plan, about the pain of not being able to have a child. She hasn't talked to God about the frustration of waiting for God's timing. She just comes up with her own plan. And when her own plan goes bad, when her own plan fails her, she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. She goes all super Christian on him. Like God will smite the evil. He knows the hearts of men and your hearts are evil. Repent, Abraham, and thou shalt be saved. You know, she goes all King James, starting quoting fire and brimstone, telling them how evil and wicked they are. Essentially, this is what she does. She goes, all I did was tell the two of you to sleep together. All I did was say that Abraham had permission to have sex with Sarah. All I did, or sorry, with Hagar. Whoops. Uh, all I did was go shopping at Victoria's Secret for Hagar, lit some candles, made a playlist with Marvin Gaye and Barry White and other various baby-making music. All I did was, was dip some strawberries in chocolate and made a bed and then put a big sign on the door that says, Do not disturb. But the two of you, oh, the two of you are the evil ones. In the words of Jonathan Edwards, you are the sinners in the hand of an angry, angry God. She goes crazy on them. And we read this story and we go, Wow. That's nuts. This woman, this family, yo, they're crazy. You know, my family really doesn't look that bad compared to this family. You know, at least my dad never had a baby's mama. Or, or at least if my dad had a baby's mama, at least my mom, my dad, my dad's baby's mama and their kid didn't all live in the same house. That's just messed up. Like, that's just crazy. And we look at this story and we go, I could never do that. I could never do that. I know right and wrong. I know evil and good. I've got a good kind of grasp on that. I would never do that. But the simple truth is that all of us are at least one person in this story. We're all Sarah. We've all got a plan. When God doesn't give us what we want, we go and we make our own plans. We say, God, I want a husband or a wife. And so we'll date anyone who says yes. And then we date them and we kind of pretend to play married life with them. And then it goes south and we go, God, I thought that was the one. And he goes, nope, you got to wait. And we go, you failed me. We say, God, I want more money. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working a lot more. And I'm going to kind of neglect my family. And I'm going to start working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, week after week after week. And I'm never going to see my family, but I'm going to bring home a lot of money. God, I want more money, so, so instead of that whole tithing thing, I'm just going to cut that out of my budget, and I'm going to save that money, and I'm not going to tithe at all. We say, God, I want a better sex life. And so instead of talking about that with my spouse, uh, I'm just going to start looking at porn and fantasize, and that'll be my answer. We say, God, I want this, and if you don't give it to me, I will figure something else out. I will be my own God. I will provide for me. I know what's best for me. I can be just a good God as you are. And we come up with this crazy, sinful, stupid plan. See, we're all Hagar. We're all the person who will lie and who will cheat to get their own way. Whatever it costs, we're going to get this. 
We treat people like they're disposable, like we can just get rid of them when they become a burden to us. See, we're all like Abraham, where instead of telling his wife that's a stupid idea, he just goes along with it, thinking that this will be easier than fighting. I'll avoid a fight and just go along with this sinful idea. And we see that because of this, uh, a kid is born, and his name is Ishmael. We'll talk about that in a bit. And from Ishmael come the entire Arab race. And then we see uh, from Abraham and Sarah, God's actual promised kid to Abraham and Sarah, uh, come another kid. And from that kid come the Jewish people. And we see different people groups still fighting to this day from this story. 4,000 years later, there's a war still going on because Abraham thought it would be easier to cave and avoid a fight. Uh, Finally, we're just like Sarah in the fact that we blame other people for our sin. Instead of repenting, we just blame. We say, well, if you weren't such an idiot, I wouldn't have to yell at you. It's your fault. If the internet wasn't filled with so much porn, I wouldn't look at porn. It's the internet's fault. If my wife was nicer to me, I would be nicer to her. I'm a jerk to my wife because she's a jerk to me. It's her fault. Or or we try and convince others that what we're doing isn't so bad. We go, look, there are much worse people out there. There are people who are stealing and murdering innocent people. I haven't done anything close to that bad. How dare you call me on my sin? I'm a good person. How dare you offend me? May God put a judge between you and me. See, we're all one of the people in this story. Let me read to you one of my favorite verses. I use it all the time in youth group. Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. God, I love ESV. You know, knowing and accepting discipline, being called on sin and called into repentance by a friend or a family member is one of the greatest gifts they could give us. We need to start viewing it as such. Stepping off our high horses and, and, and seeking God together as a community, not just seeking selfishness on our own. See, we can't look at these people with judgment in our eyes and in our hearts saying, I would never do what they did. Because the truth is, we do exactly what they did. Except for we do it on a weekly basis. We're in a constant unbelief. We're in constant need of a Savior. And so verse 6 continues. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. See, now is where it goes from bad to worse. Because we see an evil woman come up with an evil plan. We see an evil pawn and her plan do evil toward the creator. We see a kid being born into this. And the whole time, the man stands around and does nothing. And so finally, Sarah comes up to Abraham and she goes, what should I do? And he goes, I don't care. I really could care less what you do. This is your mess. You did this. Figure it out. And so Sarah treats Hagar so terribly that she decides it would be better to just leave. This pregnant woman decides it would be better to try and make it on her own than put up with this family. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. Now the road to Shur is headed east. So Sarah is headed back to Egypt. She's going back to where she came from. And you have to see 
the hopelessness that is surrounding this situation. you got a pregnant woman, most likely alone, traveling through a desert. She's going to give birth to a son who will be fatherless. Who, who These two people, Hagar and, and Ishmael, are going to live their life in complete rejection. Uh, one, she's given birth out of wedlock. Two, this, this kid is going to be a biracial baby now. This kid doesn't have a dad, doesn't have a family. I mean, it seems pretty hopeless here. And then Jesus shows up. And, and in the Old Testament, a lot of times when the angel of the Lord appears, it's talking about Christ. So hope finally shows up. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. You see that Hagar isn't looking for help. Hagar is looking for a way back home. And Jesus shows up and, she, and he meets with this poor, pregnant, lonely woman. Jesus is seeking Hagar. Jesus is seeking the reject. Jesus is seeking the sinner. Jesus is seeking the hopeless. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And it seems like he's waiting till the last second, till literally nothing more could go wrong, till there is no way any good could come of this unless there is a miracle. And bam, Jesus shows up. Verse 8, he says, Hagar, slave of Sarah, Where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. It's not like Jesus doesn't know what's happening. He's just asking for perspective on on her own life. And so verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much so they will be too numerous to count. Again, this is their race. Uh, Verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which is God hears me, for the Lord has heard your misery. So God tells her to go back, back to this family that mistreats her, back to an environment where she thought risking it alone in the desert would be better than putting up with these people. And when I went through this, I was like, why? Why does God tell her to go back? I think it comes down to is that God wants Ishmael to have a dad. We said that they were going to live a life of rejection, but at least with Abraham, they've got kind of a family. See that the boy is going to have a father. The boy is going to have someone to teach him to be a man. So he says, go back. Verse 12. This is describing Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Says, this kid is going to be crazy. This kid is going to have ADD and ADHD off the charts. He's going to be impossible to control. He's going to be a wild donkey. He's going to be punching and kicking and spitting and biting and anything to kind of get away. He's going to want to fight people, and people are going to want to fight him. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I got that kid. I sent that kid to camp with you so I didn't have to put up with him for a week. Thank you. You bet. We beat him up. Um, But but the thing about about this verse and the thing about about kids like this and people like this who who are angry and who are fighters is they get into fights a lot. And, And then after they get into a few fights and after they get their butts kicked a few times, they start to get good at fighting, start to get real good at fighting. I mean, at summer camp, I kind of learned this because, I mean, the kids who were freshmen years ago are now seniors, 
And, like, some of them outweigh me now. And I'm like, dang it, I can no longer just, like, take you down. I don't like this. And they're like, yeah, I know. I've been playing football for three years. And I'm like, okay, just, 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 okay, cool, man. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. This is why the well was called Be'er Lahir Aroi, which is still there between Kadesh and Berit. She gives this name to God. She says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees everything. You are the God who saw Abraham in Egypt. You are the God who saw Abraham pick me up out of Egypt. You are the God who sees the wrong that they have done to me. You are the God who sees the wrong that I have done to this family. You're the God who sees me in my pain. Verse 15. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. So Abraham gives the son a name. He names him Ishmael, which is, you know, from God. And he takes ownership of this kid. See, it's not that Abraham treats his kid like the reject child, like the, like the unwanted kid. He, know, he knew going into this situation that he would end up with a kid. And so he's stoked on this. He's excited to have a child. He wants to be a dad. He loves this boy. He raises his boy as his own because this child is his. You see that he teaches this boy to be a man. You see that he teaches this boy to love God. Chapter 17, verse 20 says this, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will, will greatly increase his numbers. See that Abraham prays for this kid. He, he wants good, not evil, for his son. He wants to be there for this kid. He wants to raise this kid. He wants to care for this kid. And that's exactly what he does. So verse 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. 86, having a son, firstborn. So, Genesis 16. What does it come down to? What is this about? Besides a terrible episode of TV, what, what is this? I think it comes down to verse 13. Verse 13 says this. She gave this name to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. This is what it comes down to, is that God is a God who sees us, who sees us in our pain, who sees us in our suffering, who sees us in our sin. Yes, he sees us in our happiness, but God sees us in our brokenness. And not just sees us there, but is there with us, who comes and who brings us hope. You see that God comes and brings hope for the hopeless. God comes and he befriends the lonely. God comes and he brings healing to the broken. See that we turn our backs on Christ over and over again. And we get into all kinds of stupid trouble and sin. And God comes and brings hope. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are still hopeless, Christ came and brought hope. That is what this story is about. God bringing hope. God brings hope to us and our brokenness, and our loneliness, and our sin, God comes and brings redemption. See, this is why we come to communion every week, and we take that cracker, which represents his body, which was broken for us, and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which represents his blood that was spilled out for us, and we go, God, thank you so much for leaving heaven and coming to earth 
taking on the form of a man, dying on a cross for our sins, taking all my hopelessness and dying with it and bringing us hope. Uh, We worship God through music. The band's going to come up and they're going to play a few songs. And we sing songs of, of God's great hope, the great hope that he brings to you and to me. We sing this song today that talks about God bringing a friend to the lonely and healing to the broken. This is our God who brings hope to people who would otherwise be hopeless. Thanks. Uh, we worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders or deacons in the back. Um, and, and if you are feeling hopeless, go pray with them. Go Get up and just go pray with them. Uh, we worship God through tithes and offerings. There's offering boxes in the side and in the back. And we see that, that God is a God of hope who brings us hope, and through that hope we have everything. And so we give some of it back. And we go, God, this is all yours already. And then lastly, we worship God through community. Uh, there's some food in the back. Go back, uh, get some food, talk with some people. But don't let that sense of community just end here, end inside these walls. Invite someone out to lunch. Get involved in a gospel community. Invite someone to your gospel community. Talk about this. Talk about how God has brought hope to your life. Talk about which person in this, in this story do you most closely identify with. Maybe it's a mix of all three. And then we go out and we live as a community that lives in His great hope. Will you guys pray with me? Uh, God, we just thank you for, for bringing us hope. God, we see that we are lost without you. We are lost without you coming and, and saving us, bringing us redemption, bringing us forgiveness and grace and mercy and hope. We see that you are a God who seeks us out. God, that while we were still sinners, while we still walk around in darkness, you come and you bring light. You come and you bring hope to us. God, we thank you so much for that. Pray that we would be a people who who would fully embrace that. Who would live as a people of hope. And and the people that we come into contact to on a daily basis would see that. And that you would get glory from the way we live. People would come to know who you are by how we live. And your gospel would be spread across our city. God, be with us this week. And in Jesus' name, amen.